Thanks, Steve. Well, I'm Ben, one of the pastors here, and it's good to have Tear Fund here today. We thought it would be really fitting to uh, talk with them about sponsoring children, because our question today from Genesis 1 and 2 is the question, what is it to be human? What is it that gives humans their humanness? I mean, I, I know I am a human, like we know we're human, right? But what does that mean? I was researching uh, different people's answers to that this week, and I saw a bunch of people's answers that just were kind of like nothing answers. You know, to be human is to um, be kind to each other. I mean, that surely it's something true there, but is that what makes a human a human? You know, you could give an answer based on biology. It's our DNA and our anatomy, or you could give an answer based on intelligence. It's our ability to rationally think and relate to other people, or you could give an answer sociologically. You know, humanity organized themselves in a certain way in society, or you could give an answer philosophically about purpose and meaning, or you could, you know, give an answer, is it something like to be human is to have an IRD number and a social media account on Facebook? If you don't have that, you know, are you even human? Lots of the philosophical and ethical questions that we ask about the way that we live today come from how we define what it is to be human. Issues like racism, like the value of human life, like the way that we relate to our planet and use up the resources and and how we engage with the rest of creation. Uh, Issues like inequality and how to meet those with government policy all come out of what you think it is to be human. They all have their core, this kind of deep question. And I think our culture is pretty confused about that at the moment. I didn't hear any great answers as I was listening to TEDx talks and um, seeing what people were writing. Uh, You you know, I think each of those uh, areas, biology, sociology, intelligence, philosophy, they all have something to say, but none of them give you an actual definitive answer. Uh, we, We see the confusion in so many different areas in our culture today. So for example, I think we see the confusion in what it is to be human and what it is to be a person. Are all persons humans or can you be human and not have personhood? And there's questions there that we're very confused, particularly when it comes to disability and and start of life. Uh, You know, the other one that I see real confusion in is the area of body and soul. What What it is to be a human, is it that I'm just what's inside me, my mind and my heart and, and you know, the soul or the, kind of the internal, and my body's just carrying that. And so, and so I need to relate to the world as if who I really am is just inside. Or is there actually a connection between body and soul and the way that we relate to our world as embodied souls, beings, full beings? Or, or are we just like the animals? Are we just like animals but a little bit smarter? Or is there something inherently different about humans versus all of the rest of the animals? And there's confusion on a lot of those points. And if we fail to know what it is to be human, we won't be able to answer any of those questions correctly. We'll get the answer wrong. And so today I want to show us what God says humanity is, what it means to be a human. So let's pray that he give us great wisdom from his word to answer that question this morning. Father God, we're so thankful that you have spoken to us in your word. We're so thankful that you know us, you love us, and you give us answers to the big questions of life. Give us wisdom this morning to think 
well about what it is to be human and to listen to you and what you have to say about that question. Amen. So Genesis 1 so far, what have we seen? We saw last week, if you weren't here, we kicked off our Genesis series, The Story Begins. Really, Genesis and the themes in Genesis uh, set up the whole rest of the narrative of the Bible. They speak of the way that we're engaged uh, in creation with a God who made us and loves us and has a purpose for us. We saw that he created a good world and that he ordered it and that he created and ordered all of the good world for us, for humans. We saw his amazing power, his goodness, his creativity, and humanity made on day six. Were kind of, all the things that he made, he made that we can know him. And, and he's like new parents. You know how when you find out you're having a baby, if new parents have done this, you like try and get the room ready? God's doing that with creation for humanity. He's creating a world so that we can know him. And then on day seven, we saw that he rested. And, and actually, humanity isn't the central focus point of God's world, but it's actually humanity in relationship with God. Knowing him, having relationship with him, that's what life is all about. Humans are the pinnacle of God's created world, made to live in his world and to extend his rule and blessing over his world. And so we get this picture in Genesis 1 of the kind of big picture of creation. Did you notice, as it was read out by Steve earlier, that you kind of see some overlap between chapter 1 and chapter 2? If you don't have a Bible open, I encourage you to get a Bible out, open it up. We're going to flick around a bunch of different places in chapter 1 and 2 today. <clears throat> Did you notice that the events in chapter 2 kind of come back to the events in chapter 1? We get the creation of man and woman and the world in particularly the animals and livestock and the plants, in you know, 26 through to the end of chapter 1. But then in chapter 2, verse 4, he picks it up again with the records of the heavens and the earth and the creation of, some of, the, of the garden, of humanity, of different parts of it. And so what we're seeing is a, a cycle where it picks up on different details in chapter 2 that we get the big picture in chapter 1. And so what we're going to see today is that what it is to be human centers on three relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with creation, and our relationship with each other. And today, we're going to tackle the first two of those. We're going to look at relationship with God and relationship with creation, and we'll come back next week to talk about our relationship with each other and what it is to be male and female and image God and how we relate to each other as humans. So the first two today. And so this is my first point. What does God say it is to be human the first thing he says is that it's to be in relationship with him. See, notice firstly that the claim of the Bible is that humanity is made by God. Look in verse, chapter 1, verse 26 with me. God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. See, even here you get the fact that God uses the language "ah," this kind of plural language, and there's relationship even between God that we see in Genesis 1 but what does he say? That humanity, because the word man there is actually the Hebrew word for uh, all humans, not just the male gender. It's actually all humans there. And man is made in our image according to our likeness. See, we didn't always exist or come about by random chance. We were made. Different atheists, people who haven't uh, they have no idea of, of, of God and they reject the idea of God, have tried to come up with different reasons why humans 
make up God? You know, is it so, you know, Marx would say it so that you can control uh, people politically? Or, you know, uh, Nietzsche would say it's uh, God's a crutch that humanity can kind of lean on to get by. Or different people give different answers. But what we see here in Genesis is that humanity didn't make up God, but God made humanity. And the implications of this are huge. See, if we're made, if we are created and made by God, then we're made with a purpose. If something's made, it has a maker, and its maker has made it for a function or a purpose. Just think the chair you're sitting on, it was made for you to sit on. You know, you could like frame it and put it in an art gallery, but it wouldn't quite, uh, you know, maybe, some, maybe you call it abstract art, but it was made with a purpose. The shoes that you're wearing, they were made with a purpose to protect your feet, or at least to kind of make you look cool. Uh, if God made us, then he made us with a purpose. And we ought to listen to what he has to say about our purpose. And the negative is then also true. If we're trying to find purpose and meaning in our lives without turning to the God who made us, we're going to get terribly lost. See, without God, what we try to do is to self-create, to to say, oh, I I can be who I want to be and, and I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. And we just have ended up in a terrible mess trying to do that. See, we think it's kind of offensive today to say you have a maker, to say that you have someone who you're responsible to, who you should listen to, someone who owns you. But the God of the Bible says that we are made for a purpose, that we actually are made by him and that he loves us. See, you can't have meaning in your life and purpose without the offense of being made. You can't have meaning without the offense of being made. There isn't a good answer to what brings meaning in life outside of listening to the one who made us. Humanity is made and owned by God according to his purpose. That's the first thing we see. The next thing we see is that God made us and we are completely dependent on him. See, come across to chapter 2 with me, chapter 2, verse 4. We get the records of the heaven and the earth, and God made the earth and the heavens. In verse 5, there's no shrubs and no plants, and you know, there's kind of this thing going on with the rain where, well, there isn't really rain yet, and there's just mist that kind of, I don't really know what's going on there. But come to verse 7, and we'll see this. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground, And breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. See, God creates the man from the dust. See, Adam, or it's a play on words here in the original language. To be Adam means to be from the earth. It's literally what his name means. And do you see what God does? He He makes him from the earth, forms him, and then breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. See, literally, God's Breath, God's life, God's spirit goes into Adam and gives him life. We are completely dependent on God for the life that we have. The closest correlation I could kind of think of for that happening for us as humans is when you give someone mouth to mouth, right? They don't have breath, their heart's not beating, they don't have life, and what you're trying to do is breathe into them so that you can get them to start breathing again and give them life. But they already had life at some point, and the system was already all made, and so we're not actually bringing life there in the way that God does. 
with the first human. But it gives you a picture, doesn't it, of the up-close and personal nature of the God who made us. God wasn't distant and far off when he made the first human. He was up-close and personal. The mouth-to-mouth idea, it's the in-your-face. It's personal, close relationship with a loving creator, full of love and care and excitement for his humanity and, and giving them a purpose. And it's important to note that these first humans are talked about in the Bible as real people. That Adam and Eve are talked about as the first humans and that they are real people. And so Romans 5 goes on to say that before Adam and Eve, there was no human life. They are the first humans. And there was no human death. That no humans lived or died before Adam and Eve. Now, we haven't got time to go into how that fits with the account of science and evolution. If you've got questions on that, come and see me up the front. I've spent a lot of time reading books on that uh, the last couple of months, but we haven't got time to go into that in the sermon. But what's important to say is if you trust God and you believe the Bible is God's word to us, then you have to hold that Adam and Eve are the first humans that God breathed life into, that God gave his spirit to. The God who made us made us for a purpose. He's not distant and cold and impersonal, but he's relational. And we are completely dependent on him. And so what is it to be human? It's to be made. It's to be dependent on God. But primarily what we see in this passage today is that God made us for a purpose. Humanity, we see, is made in the image of God, which you could sum up as relationship and as rule. So what is it then to be made in the image of God? Come back, look at the text with me, chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read the whole thing, 26 and 27. God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. We were made for relationship with God. See, that's primarily, that's the first thing that it means to image God. Out of all creation, only God, only humans are made in the image and the likeness of God. And this first word here, likeness and image, they capture up a relational dynamic. It's often used, the word likeness, to describe the father-son relationship in Genesis. It's familial, it's, 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 it's child and parent, it's closeness and it's connectedness. It's the ability to connect with each other. So here's an example from Genesis 5. We're going to look at this in a few weeks' time, but I'm just going to kind of show us one thing from this. Genesis 5, look at verse 1. It's going to come up on the screen. This is the document... Otherwise, this is the story, is the literal word here. This is the, the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. And then Genesis 5 verse 3, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So do you see there in the same way that God creates humanity and that in his likeness, Adam creates Seth, who's in his likeness. There's this kind of familial language there. It's the language of relationship, of closeness. To be like someone is to be able to connect with them. 
It's, it's why we saw it in the kids' talk. It illustrated beautifully. There is no one that was like Adam except for God. But he didn't have anyone, a created being who was like him. And so God had to do something about that. It's this special relational word, this word likeness. And the fact that humanity is made in God's likeness means that we are made for relationship with God. We have the capacity for that and we were made for that. See, lots of the answers about what it is to be human come down to something that you do. But here we see primarily and first that to be human is to be something that you are. We are made with the capacity to know and love the God who made us. That's what it is to be human. And only humans have this capacity. No other animal has it. It's only humans. To know him, to love him, to be able to listen to him. Do you ever think how amazing it is that God speaks in human languages? He he speaks to us in words that we could understand, accommodating to us. I'm not sure how God communicates within himself in eternity past, but I don't think he spoke Hebrew. He did that for us as humans because he wants to connect with us. He made us for relationship. It's the reason that we can pray to God. It's the reason that we communicate to God by talking to him because we can, we know him. See, notice in verse 27 that humanity in the image of God is both male and female. That the relationships that we have as humans within each other are only possible because of God and his relationship that he has with us. Together with our differences, male and female, we kind of image God. And together we're to rule creation as we feel and multiply. And we're going to look at that more next week, the female-male relationship. But as we think about the fact that we are made to know God, it, it for me, helps us have great clarity around what we ought to be on about as a church. As a church, we ought to be on about relationship with God. That needs to be at the center of everything that we do. Whenever we gather, we gather to hear from God, to to help each other know and love God, to help us relate to God, to sing praises to God, to listen to God, to hear his word read, to hear it unpacked in a sermon, to to pray to God, someone praying on behalf of all of us at church, to encourage each other to trust God and listen to him. To have God shape our lives and our hopes and our purpose and meaning in life. That's what we do as a church. Is it what you do as an individual when you come to church? Are you looking to connect with God and help others know and love God more? Are you doing that in your workplace, with your neighbors, with your family? We were made for relationship with God. That's who we are as humans. Are you looking for opportunities to do that yourself? And to help others know him more as well. And it's worth saying the reality that we are made to know God is the primary reason that human life is valuable. That humans are full of dignity and worth and and value because we, out of all of God's creation, can know him. It's not saying that animals don't have value, but there is a difference between the animals and the plants of creation and humanity who can know God. This is why Christians throughout the history of since people got to know Jesus have given themselves to protecting the vulnerable in society. 
those with disability, the elderly, the unborn, the poor. It's why organizations like Tear Fund exist. It's why we want to partner with them, because we think that every human life is valuable. There is nothing more inherently valuable about your life versus the life of a young child in Sri Lanka with nothing. Before God, we both are worthy of dignity and respect and have inherent value built in to who we are. All human life is precious because all humans were made to know God. And our value is not found in our abilities or our skills or our pay packet or our social status or our looks. It's got nothing to do with us and everything to do with the one in whose image we are made, who says we are valuable. That's why we partner with Tear Fund. That's why we care about human life. Do you hold that all human life is valuable because we get to know God? Are you fighting for those around you who are vulnerable? Do you care about the vulnerable in your society, in your family, in your neighborhood? Because God cares deeply about each and every person that he's made. We were made for relationship with God. That's the first thing that we learn about what it is to be made in God's image. See, God makes us for relationship, but he also gives us a purpose. Here's the second point, humanity's relationship with creation. See, notice the purpose there in chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. See, humanity are not just, they are made for relationship with God, but he also gives them us a purpose to rule. That's the kind of the second thing that it means to image God is relationship and rule, to rule over God's creation. Now, in the ancient Near East, kings would set up statues of themselves to declare themselves as the ruler over an area. Here's one that I love. This is the uh, Sphinx in Giza. This is kind of the, uh, I think it's like the 1300 BCs. Um, now, look at that. This is the pharaoh's head on a giant like lion's body. If you saw that, this thing is huge. If you saw it, you are instantly thinking, wow, the pharaoh that made this, he's powerful. He's the ruler of this area. Look at the power and rule that he has, that he can create something like this. It's this the image speaks about the power and rule of the one who made it. And it reminds everyone that they are in control. I guess the modern day example for us would be coins, right? Every coin that we have, every banknote that we have, has an image of who on it? The queen representing her rule over all of Commonwealth. Now, obviously, the Queen has sadly passed away recently, and so what's going to happen over the next couple of years is that they will roll out new money with King Charles's face on it. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reminder of his rule and power as the kind of head of the Commonwealth uh, across the world. So the idea of the image represents the rule. Right, And so when God calls humanity his image, he's not just saying that we're made for relationship with him. He's saying that we are to function as God's statue for all the rest of creation. To, to function as God's evidence for his power and his rule over all things. The reality that we saw in chapter 1 earlier. This is why God is so against having other statues made in his image. Because humans are supposed to do that. As people look at us, 
As creation sees us, they're supposed to see God, his wisdom and power and rule over all things. Humanity have that task to show God's rule. But unlike a passive statue that only captures you know, one element of God and can't really do anything, humanity don't just represent God's rule. We were made for extending God's rule, to bring God's rule and, and wisdom for how creation should work throughout all of his world. See, it means that we are to relate to creation in the way that God does. We're kind of his, his viceroy, his 2IC, living in the world and, and, and ruling it to show God's wisdom and power over all things. But we don't do it as despots or dictators. We do it under God. We show the same kind of care and kindness that God shows to us and to his creation because we rule under him. See, what does God do? He rules with the best interests and he cares for and has as his primary concern the good of those who he rules. And so as humans, as we rule over all of creation, all of the animals, all of the created things, we ought to do it with our primary concern for their good. But verse 28, notice that it says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that calls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the, on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. These will be food for you and for all the wildlife of the earth. So God calls us to rule over the earth in a way that takes care of it, but he does give it to humanity for food, for the resources that we need. Uh, he, he, there's an idea of subduing creation, so bringing creation under the will of humanity. That's the idea of subdue. There and and this that's a will that obviously comes from what God's will is for creation, but we function to extend God's rule and blessing throughout His world. That's what it means to be human. And we'll come to the fruitful and multiplying bit when we talk about men and women next week. So come back for that. But can I just say, do you rule like God rules? Do you see yourself as trying to extend God's wisdom and power and greatness in the world as your primary purpose of being as a human? Do you live to try and help others see that God is good and in control? Do you help others live and experience the goodness of God and his control and, and, and listen to him and, and love them and point them to what God has to say about who they are, and how they should live. And even with the finite resources of this world, it's not wrong to use them. God made them for humans. But are you conscious of your impact on the world and, and how being a human affects others around you, both you individually and us as a whole, as humanity? We ought to think about those questions because we're to rule like how God rules. God made us for relationship with him, and to rule his creation. And part of that rule and that process looks like both enjoying God's creation, but also working it. So you come across a little bit later in chapter 2, we see that God makes the two trees the, in verse 9. There's, they're pleasing in appearance and good for food. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. I think the tree of life is kind of this tree which represents God's goodness in giving humans life as they have relationship with him. 
And we'll come to the tree, we'll come to those two trees and why they matter more in a couple of weeks. But God makes the trees, He makes the rivers and the lands. And see in verse 15, He says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. See, God created work before the fall. Now, you might think that uh, work is an evil, <laughs> depends on what your job is. But, and there is something about the way that work has been damaged and our relationship to creation has been damaged by the fall and by sin and by the brokenness of our world. We'll hear that in a couple of weeks. But it's worth saying that work is not just an inconvenience, that you are actually made for work. We were made to enjoy God's creation and to work it, to watch over it, to care about God's world. We were made for work as humans. Uh, and it's not good for us not to do anything. It's good for us to, to work and to have purpose. And obviously work here is more than just a formal kind of occupation that you do to get a paycheck. Work can be a whole range of different things. But it's not good for us to do nothing. I used to work as an occupational therapist, and I would work with people with disability who were unable to work, and we would support them in assisted workplaces and help them kind of grow skills to hold a job, and you would not believe how much thankfulness I got, how much people wanted to work and, and found that when they couldn't work, that really was hard for them, and they had to process that, and particularly after illness or disability, it's amazing how grateful people were. I think it speaks to the reality that we were, we were made to relate and we were, were made for work in a whole range of different ways. As we continue the story of Genesis, we'll see how humans organize and work and cultivate the world. They build societies and, and, and buildings and, and they mine resources and they use the materials of the world to do amazing things, to create musical instruments, to, to build high things and they're creative because they're made in the image of a God who is creative. And so as you work, you work because you're imaging God. Now, there's heaps more to say there on work, but I just want to point to one danger. We were made to work, but we were not made for work. We were made for God. And so I think we have a real danger that we center our lives on our work. And we become all about our work. And, and we need to see that the work that we have is just part of the bigger picture of what it is to rule God's creation. As you think about your own job, do you center your identity on being a worker or on being a ruler of God's creation and on living to extend God's blessing and wisdom and rule in your workplace as you do things, as you're productive in society? Do it for God, not because you find yourself as a worker, as your primary identity. The garden is good. It's pleasing and it's the prototype for how all creation should go. And so we should enjoy it. Even in the brokenness of the world, take those moments to enjoy God's creation. I know that can be hard sometimes in the city and in the rain, but enjoy God's creation. There's still heaps of it to enjoy. Get out, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the goodness of the things that God has made. And recognize that it's broken. And the brokenness ought point to the reality that it's, we were made for something more. That there's more to this creation than just the brokenness. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks, thinking about how sin frustrates work and God's good creation. See, humanity was made for relationship with God and to bring God's rule and blessing to the world. 
But here's the deal. You and I, we know this to be true, that we have failed miserably at that task. Haven't we? Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book of Genesis before, we're going to get there with the fall. But we don't even need to look at that. We just need to look around us and see that for many of us, we live our lives ignoring and rejecting God. We were made for relationship with him, and yet most of the time, we would rather he just didn't exist. We don't want the offense of being made of someone else telling us how we ought to live. And even for those of us who do know and love God, we still wrestle sometimes, don't we, with this, do we actually want to listen to him and trust him and trust that what he says is actually good for us, even when it doesn't feel like it? See, we can treat God sometimes like a teenager, where even just talking to their parents feels like doing the absolute most, and I don't even want to do that. And we can do that with God, can't we? But we were made to know him and to love him and to listen to him and to extend his rule and blessing in the world. And as for the extending God's rule and blessing, we failed miserably there too. Humans are so good at creating and using God's resources, not for his rule and blessing, but for our own self-destruction. Alcohol, weapons, food, the way we relate to each other, we were meant to build each other up and point us to God and his goodness, but what do we do so often? We tear each other down. We're so failed in the way that we're supposed to image God. Instead of pointing to God as the creator, the good one, we actually point our lives back to ourselves and, and we don't want to listen to him. That's the essence of what the Bible calls sin, is just wanting to call the shots in our own lives. And, and we just fail with that time and time again. We fail to image God. Humanity has never lived up to our potential as image bearers, relationally or functionally. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that while we don't live up to our potential as image bearers of God, there is one who does, Jesus. As the third point, we're going to look at Jesus' perfect humanity. So often we get caught up in his divinity, that Jesus is truly God, the second person of the Trinity who existed forever in all of eternity. But actually it's his humanity that also matters to us. It's in his humanity that Jesus frees us to be truly human. So you come across with me to Hebrews chapter 2. It's going to come up on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you can flick there. Hebrews chapter 2. The author here is quoting from Psalm 8, which is one of the key psalms that teaches us about what it is to be human. It's what we've titled this sermon on. And, and pick it up with me in verse 6. He, he's, he's kind of giving this extended run of why Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything else in all of creation. And pick it up with me in verse 6. Here he is. He says, quoting from the Psalms, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Do you see here the psalm is kind of wondering at the marvel of humanity, that we were made for relationship with God. He's mindful of us. He cares for us. And that we were made to rule all things. The language he uses here is you put everything under his feet. You crowned him with glory and honor. But see how he continues. It goes on in verse 8. 
In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, in verse 8, the psalmist, or, or now the author of Hebrews reflecting on the psalm, is saying that you created everything to be under humanity, but we don't see that to be true. The point is that before Jesus came into the world, humanity has been living below its destiny. We were made to rule all of creations. And and here he says, well, we're a little lower than the angels. There are these creations that are higher than us. Humanity has been not living up to its destiny. But Jesus, by coming into creation fulfills humanity's destiny. In his death and resurrection, Jesus is crowned with glory and honor and all things are brought under his rule as he rises again and beats death and and is crowned with all of the glory and honor and praise that is his. See, humans are made in the image of God, but Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of God. Humans are made in God's likeness, but Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint and representation of God to us. See, what it is to be human finds its true expression in Jesus's humanness. As the true human, he's the last Adam who fulfills what God called the first human to do and to be. Jesus lives as our representative of all of humanity and as our substitute living the perfect life and dying and offering us his perfect life for ours, our brokenness and our failed image bearing. He offers us forgiveness from God that we so desperately need. And in Jesus, if our trust is in him, he brings new life about in us. He makes us who we are supposed to be as humans, renewed and transformed into the image of God. And, and, and we're restored to right relationship with God. It's not that we weren't human before, but that we actually fulfill our destiny because of Jesus. And so we can now get on with the task of showing God's wisdom and extending his rule and blessing to everything around us in creation and and communicating and knowing the living God because of Jesus. We can get on with the task of helping more people come back into relationship with God through Jesus, through his work on the cross. He tasted death for us so that it might be for everyone. His glory, his death for us in our place. And when you look at how badly humans have stuffed up the image and how perfectly Jesus reflects it, that's good news, isn't it? That's why the gospel is called good news. You wouldn't reject that offer if you knew what it truly was to have his life, his perfect humanity for your failed imaging of God. That's what's on offer in the gospel. And it's because of Jesus' humanity that he can do that. But even more than that, we see that what it is to be truly human, to be above all things, is actually found in Jesus. The story of Jesus becoming a human is not in its deepest sense about Jesus restoring humanity, but the bigger, truer plan that's all of God's 
plan for creation through salvation history is to bring all things under the lordship of Jesus for his glory, for his praise, and for his honor. That's why he made humans. More than just imaging God in relationship and rule, he made us for Jesus' glory. Jesus doesn't fit into our story as humans. We fit into his. Humanity is all about living for the lordship of King Jesus. He perfectly images God. He has perfect relationship with the Father. He perfectly rules all of creation now and into eternity. And he is the good and final end for us and what it means to be human. Only in him are we free to now live out our destiny as humans, like Jesus, knowing God and extending his rule and blessing. Let's pray that we would be people that take up this week our destiny to make much of Jesus, to praise him and to live for him. Why don't you join me? We'll pray. Father, we're so thankful for King Jesus. He is the Lord of all. He deserves all the glory and honor. And what we see in Hebrews 2 is that he is the one in whom humanity finds its true meaning and purpose. We were made for relationship with you to extend your rule and blessing. And in Jesus, you have freed us to be able to now do that truly and perfectly. We pray this week that you might help us to listen to you, to love you, to think rightly about work and about rest and about how we relate to others and do it all for your glory. We are so thankful for King Jesus. We are part of his story. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.